How are we? Awesome. It's good to see everybody here today. I'm glad you decided to spend some time with us this morning here at Vertical Life Church. Again, to all of our guests, we want to say welcome. My name is Pastor Joey, and I'm so glad that you chose to spend your Sunday morning with us. Uh, today is the last week in our series that we've been going through over the course of six weeks, kind of unpacking the fundamentals or foundation of our ministry. We planted this church about three years ago almost four years ago, coming into the next year. And uh, so it's time that we kind of just look back on kind of where we started and so we don't get uh, lost or lose sight of the founding principles and values that uh, we want to see implemented and just lived out and permeate through the life of our church. And uh, when we formed this church again in Acts chapter 2, we began to look and to see what God intended for his church to look like. And so we went to the Bible to see uh, what that was supposed to look like. And we looked at the characteristics of that early church and the values that, that seemed to flow from their lives. And we took notes from what we saw from them and compiled that into our six core values at Vertical Life Church. And uh, so we've been through now six weeks. This week, we're on a core value number six, which is one of my favorites. It is crazy generosity. I don't know if you saw the uh, Geico commercials a few years ago, but it's kind of where we stole the term, talking about being crazy generous. And, uh, and so that's what we see in the life of the church. Um, this week in our series, we're going to kind of unpack crazy generosity from a different slant. No, we're not going to ask for an offering at the end of the service and expect you to empty your bank accounts. We're, we're not going to do anything like that. But we are going to talk about kind of the core or really the meat of this value and how it affects or how it should be lived out in our everyday life. And we're going to begin by looking at a very familiar passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. So if you have your Bible with you, you can turn there, or the verses will also be on the screen for you today. In Luke chapter 10, uh, beginning in verse 25, this is what the Word of the Lord records. It says, One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. And the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied with the story, verse 30, said a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, and when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them, and then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeepers two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who attacked or was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. Verse 37 says, the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your crazy generosity toward us by sending Jesus Christ as a sacrifice to pay the penalty for our sins. God, we thank you how you demonstrated your great love for us, but while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
And not only did he die and shed his blood, but he came back from the dead in glorious power in the resurrection to prepare the way for us to live a new and abundant life, to know that we're loved by our creator, to know that we can have relationship with you if we place our faith and trust in Jesus. So, Father, as we look at the word today, God, I pray that it would reach down deep into our hearts. God, that we each would take a look at our lives and, and take a look at this value of crazy generosity and see how we can grow so that we can be more like you and live a life that reflects more of you in our everyday lives. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this story, it's the story is typically called the story of the Good Samaritan. It's important that we understand kind of what's happening behind the scenes because we kind of miss some of the nuances that that's happening here, things that they would have understood being from that time. The first thing we, we talk about, and this is often talked about when this story is discussed, is that the Jews or the Jewish people and the Samaritans were at war with one another. It was a racial war. The, the Samaritan people were basically half-breeds. They were half-Jew, and they were also half-Gentile or other, uh, other nationalities. And the Lord God had instructed the Jewish people in the Old Testament, in their law, not to marry or intermarry with any other religion or, or nation. They were to keep themselves pure. And so anyone that stepped outside of that was considered to step outside of God's law or God's will, and therefore would be considered a dirty, rotten sinner. And so they're seeing all these people that are the byproduct of the sinfulness of people among their own family, and they were so disgusted with this act that they ostracized this people. They considered them not worthy of breath, not even worthy of love, and they cast them out. They had to live in their own land. And not only were the, the Jews and the Samaritans at war racially with each other, but because of this animosity of the Jewish people, the Samaritans built their own temple in their own land, and they began to teach their people, hey, the Jews have it wrong. That temple, that's not where God resides. You worship here on our mountain in our temple, and this is how you live a holy life. And so not only did they have racial tension and unrest, they also had religious tension and unrest. Not a very good combination for neighboring uh, towns. And so in this story, as Jesus is teaching uh, or really illustrating a point to this religious man, it says the Jewish man that was traveling down the road was attacked and left for dead. So he's making it personal to this religious guy. In this story, his own priest walks by. The Jewish man left for dead. His own priest, Jewish priest, walks by, and instead of tending to his needs, goes on the other side of the road and kind of ignores him, seems he walks on by. And the reason why this is significant is, in, again, in the Old Testament, uh, to, to touch a dead thing in, in some uh, respects was to be considered unclean. So here, the Jewish man and all of his religiosity, this priest was thinking, I can't touch that guy if he's dead. I'm going to go on the other side. And in fact, he didn't even take the time to see if he was still alive. And I look at that, I think, you know, how often is it because of our religiosity and, and our religion and the things that we've convinced ourselves make us a good Christian, have we missed opportunities to serve somebody who is in need because of that belief? But nonetheless, the priest goes on the other side of the road and travels on by. Then next comes a temple official. This would have been like a high city official, well-respected person in the city of Jerusalem. And he, again, ignores the guy lying on the side of the road and walks on by and does nothing to help. And yet a Samaritan, 
a sworn enemy of the nation of Israel, walks by, has compassion on this man, checks to see if he's okay. He's barely alive, tends to his needs, gives his own wine, his own olive oil to patch him up and kind of hold him together until he can get him some help and take him to someone that could provide for his needs. And as Jesus is describing the story to this expert in religious law, essentially this is, this is like a professional philosopher or, or, or professor of biblical knowledge. He would have been a, someone who taught the Torah, the five books of Moses, and the, the law to uh, young uh, Jewish men or even disciples growing up. So this guy was not ignorant of the scriptures. He knew the Bible. And so Jesus was describing the story to this man. And I can only think, because he was a Jewish teacher, or he was a Jewish man himself, how preposterous this story would have sounded to him. You know, he would have probably thought that a Samaritan would have never done that for a Jewish man. That would have just, that's unthinkable, that this story could possibly be true. And he probably thought that the bandits that attacked the Jewish man were probably Samaritans themselves. That, you know, that's probably more likely what's going on here because of this animosity and this tension between the two people. That this Samaritan, more than likely, if this was a real story, not just something Jesus made up off the top of his head, the real story would have been the Samaritan skipping on by, let alone sacrificing his personal finances to nurse an enemy to health. And if you think about the story from his perspective, or even from just a real-world perspective, you think about the Samaritan man as he's traveling. He probably had some important places to go. Like the priest had somewhere he needed to be. The temple official had someplace he needed to be. The Samaritan probably was on his way to work or someplace important. He was probably saving this money, the two silver coins, for something special. Maybe it was a gift for his wife or, or for his children. Maybe he was going to go make a down payment on a new boat or a new house, something to that effect. Maybe he was saving that to take his family on this luxury vacation that they had been dreaming about, that there was something he was intending for his own money. And, and for this Jewish religious teacher to think that this enemy, sworn enemy of Israel, is just going to stop and spend his hard-earned money, money he's been saving, on a sworn enemy, he's probably thinking, yeah, right. I don't think so. Have you ever seen this actually happen? Yeah, right. There's got to be no way that this was going to happen, that this would be a tall ask, an impossible ask for anyone in the real world. And I look at this story, and I think, you know what? That's exactly why Jesus used this illustration. It's exactly right. Jesus wanted to paint an impossible picture to set the standard for what this man was asking of him. He started off by saying, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to, to get into heaven, Jesus? And Jesus asked him, well, what do, what do you know the Bible says? Sum it up. Sum up for me all the teachings, all the things you've learned. And the man said, you must love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. This is our core value of wholehearted worship, that we worship God with everything we are. And Jesus said, you're right. That's exactly right. But then, then there's that second part. And the man said, and also you are to love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with everything you are and love your neighbor the same way you love and care for yourself. 
And Jesus was adamant that this man had spoken correctly. He confirmed that, yes, that's the right answer. But he also perceived in this man that he was, uh, just as we do in our lives, when we see God ask us to do something, we know God wants something from us. We know his will is revealed, and we know he's leading us a certain way. He was looking for a loophole as to get out of the responsibility of living up to that. Like, yes, I'm to love God with all that I am. I'm to love my neighbor as myself. But isn't there some way I could just kind of tweak that a little bit and, and not have to do that? You know, it's like when I am disciplining my kids or I'm giving them something to do, there's always an excuse or a reason as to why they can't do it exactly what I'm saying and when I'm asking them to do that. We do this all the time with God. So Jesus uses this parable to teach him and us a truth. And I believe the word of God, as I was meditating on this this week and asking God, what is your word for the church? What do you want us to think about, contemplate, to know in this passage of scripture as it pertains to crazy generosity and how we're to love our neighbor as ourselves and love you with all that we are? What is it that we need to know? And I believe this is what God spoke to me this week. And it's the core concept of this message. And it's simply this that the depth of our love for God will determine the depth of our generosity. The depth of our love for the Lord, our God, will determine the depth of our generosity. See, the Samaritan in this story, you can see, had to have had loved God so much that in the depth of who he was, he knew What mattered to God? What was the most valuable thing to God on earth? And that is the human soul. When you look at Genesis chapter 1 and you see everything God created, when he gets to day 6, it's like, okay, now I'm going to make the coolest thing ever. I'm going to make man. I'm going to make man in our image. I'm going to breathe into man the breath of life, and he's going to become a living soul. Man was the crowning achievement of all creation. Matter of fact, everything created was specifically designed for the existence of man. Mankind is deeply loved by God. It is the crown jewel of all of creation. There is not a gem or jewel or dollar figure in this world, in this life. There's no wonder that man could create that compares to how much God loves you and I. There's nothing. And when your heart is connected to God, to the point that you will love God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, you will see that there is nothing that you possess, nothing in your possession, no experience you could experience that has any value beyond to which what God treasures. Because your heart will beat with his. Your mind will be in alignment with his truth. And this is why I believe the early church, when you flip to Acts chapter 2 and you begin reading what what happened, this is why the early church was able to sell everything they had and give their money to the poor. It's like, yeah, okay, take it. You know, that's just like the philosophy that they had. They moved in with one another. They shared everything they had. It was not even a question of whether or not this was something that they were going to even contemplate doing. They didn't didn't have to go on a six-month prayer campaign to say, God, do you really want me to sell all I have? No, they're just like, take it. Take it, whatever God needs, however I can love, however I can help. They gave up their trades. Fishermen became missionaries. They gave up their freedom. Free men became slaves and in bondage and in jail. And even 
Living men became dead men, giving their lives to share the gospel. You see, the death and resurrection of Christ made such an impact on their lives that they recognized how much God loved them. And they recognized what they were actually saved from. They recognized that this is the life I was living. This is the journey I was on. This was my destination. And God saved me from all of that. They recognized what God had done in their lives. The death and resurrection of Christ made such an impact upon them that to the point that they saw how much they mattered to God and how much people mattered to God. Because if they mattered to God that much, that Christ would die for their sins so that they could be reconciled to have a relationship with their Heavenly Father, how much more does He love others who are still far from them? And so they worked to live in peace with everyone, to do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith, because the value of one soul was far more important than a piece of cloth, a vacation, a promotion, or respect in the community. In Luke chapter 12, verse 32 through 34, Jesus says, So don't be afraid, little flock. For it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it and no moth can destroy it. And wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. This is the perspective God wants his children to have. This is a famous verse. This is wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. What I see from this is not only will the location of your treasure determine the desires of your heart, but the composition of what your treasure is will determine what your desires are going to be. Where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be. Well, what is your treasure? What's the most valuable thing to you in this life? What is it that you value? Because that is where your desire is going to be pointed and directed. Jesus said it brings God pleasure to give us the kingdom. The kingdom of God is lived and experienced in the hearts and souls of mankind. The kingdom of heaven has come when man is reborn through a relationship in Christ, and Christ reigns in the hearts of people. This is the kingdom of God, and God said, I desire, I have pleasure to give you the kingdom, which means you can have all the souls you want, but it requires something. He says, you must change from earthly treasure to heavenly treasure, and when you gain heavenly treasure, guess what? No thief is breaking in there, and no moth is going to corrupt that. That will be treasure that lasts in all of eternity. Yet the challenge that we have here on earth is that what we treasure and what God treasures most of the time are separate. We know it's important to win souls. We know as Christians, again, we were to be unrelenting witnesses of Jesus Christ. We're to tell people about Jesus. We're to share the gospel. We know that's important. You know, it's important to invite people to church. And we feel obligated as a Christian to tell people about God and do the things Christians are supposed to do. But do we, if we were honest, do we truly value heavenly treasure? Or are our eyes still lighting up for dollar signs and worldly experiences? What matters most? What holds back your generosity is ultimately 
the depth of your love for God. You will not sacrifice beyond the level of your love for your heavenly Father. The more we love God, the more willing and joyful we will be to forego earthly gain and acquire heavenly gain. And you see, generosity is more than money. It's more than just dollars and cents. Generosity and being generous has to do with our time, how you invest your time. Do you have more me time or do you have more kingdom time? And with kindness, do you reserve your kindness just for a select few or are you kind to everyone? Are you generous with your kindness? Or how about with your forgiveness? Jesus said, if you don't forgive others, your Father in heaven won't forgive you. He expects us to be generous with our forgiveness, to, to love people, to be forgiving and reconcile. Are you generous with your forgiveness? Do we value each other as treasure in heaven so much so that we're willing to fight to reconcile relationships? Or do we just want to sit back and be bitter and just say, you know what, that's not worth it? Generosity is more than money. You see, love is interconnected to generosity. And you can read this all through the scriptures. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35 says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I has loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. You see, this love that he's speaking about is not a funny feeling in the stomach region. It's not the butterflies that you get when you meet that, that guy or that girl for the very first time that just kind of lights that spark. The love he's talking about is a demonstration in how we treat, how we take care of, how we willingly sacrifice for one another, how we're willing to forgive one another and give grace to one another when we're offended, to help each other when we're in need, and to be there for one another when we struggle. Romans 13.8 says, Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill all the requirements of God's law. Being in debt financially will bind your ability to be crazy generous. Here Paul says the only debt we should have is the debt to walk in love towards our fellow man. This goes back to the parable of the Good Samaritan. Crazy generosity, when we're talking about finances or even just the mindset of crazy, crazy generosity, is generosity that defies logic. It crosses social, economic, racial, religious, and political lines. The very nature of God's love toward us doesn't have definitions or stipulations. And if we're bound in debt, whether it be through our finances or we're bound by a hard heart, through unforgiveness or any type of sin, we won't be able to walk in the generosity that God intends for us to walk in. You, know, you can see this type of generosity begin to spring up during tragedies like Hurricane Harvey and the efforts down there. I guarantee you when people were going door to door, they didn't pre-qualify the, the salvation by whether or not they were a Democrat or Republican, or whether they were white or black, or whether they were rich or poor. It was a soul that needed saved. Let's get them to salvation. Galatians 5, verse 13 says, For you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. We've been freed from the works of the law. And he's saying here, don't use your freedom because you don't have to you know, wash your hands 15 times before you eat dinner and all these rules and regulations. Don't use this freedom to be self-focused and walk away from God and the church. 
Don't say in your heart, I'm saved, I'm good, I don't need all of that, I can do this on my own, do my own thing. Don't pull away. Said, so use your freedom to let that empower your love for God and the church, which is the people. To love the people as God through Christ has loved you. You've been set free from the world's standards and expectations. Your life has been redirected so you can live out God's love for all to see. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 12 says, May the Lord make your love for one another and all, uh, for all people grow and overflow, just as your love for you, our love for you overflows. 2 Thessalonians 1, 3 says, Dear brothers and sisters, we can't help but thank God for you because your faith is flourishing and your love for one another is growing. You see, faith is also tied together with love. As your faith grows, so should your love. Which means, guess what? Your love can grow. We should not be satisfied with our current level of love, even with our current level of faith. We should each strive and be determined to see our love and our faith grow. And to see our love grow just as much as we want to see our faith grow. You see, we know biblically it's impossible to please God without faith. And what use is faith if it doesn't lead a person to walk in sacrificial love? Profits us nothing. Paul addresses this in Corinthians where he says, you could have all the marvelous gifts, talents, and abilities in the world, but if you don't have love, you have nothing. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Why? Because we should be helping each other grow in our love for one another. Love is the driving force that binds the church together. It's guided through our common faith and belief. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 11 and 12 says, Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Then you'll not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you'll follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. Spiritual dullness and indifference, spiritual negativity, discontentment, all of this is indicative of a person who is self-focused and has pulled their heart away from God. Once you're far away, we can stay connected to God and keep the faith. It's through how we determine in our hearts to love and serve one another. See, too many people are waiting to be served and not enough or desiring to be served. Jesus said, the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. People become disconnected and cold, and in this day and age, what they do is they just move on to find a better church someplace else, someplace that's gonna light that spark. But the truth is, is they would stop waiting to be served, and they would get connected and serve others in love. They'd find the very thing they were looking for. Our key verse today is in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. This is what Paul says to the church of Galatia. He says, therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Notice Paul says, do good to everyone. Do good to everyone. There's no stipulation. There's no, they got to reach this platform before I'm willing. No, he says, do good to everyone, just as God through Christ has done good for us. The Good Samaritan didn't restrict his generosity to only of those who are believed just like him and had the same faith as him or the same racial background or political affiliation, and neither should we. We should not withhold our generosity from those who are different than us, even from those who are far from God and live and believe completely differently than we do. 
Our love should spill out into every affiliation, in every relationship. And I know as, even in my own life, as I've tried to live this out, sometimes you get caught in that space where you, you kind of are in a position where you're like, man, I think I should do something, but then you begin to let fear set in, and you kind of talk yourself out of it, and you're like, well, I don't know, and then all of a sudden the opportunity goes by, and, and you miss the opportunity, and then you feel guilty, and you're just like, man, I should have did that, you know. The difficulty is, is when we get caught in that place that we don't have enough motivation or, enough, or like a plan of action to kind of break through that to, in order to be faithful and honor what God wants us to do and let his love shine. And so I've come up with four things that when you're in that place where you're thinking, you know, I need to do something, I'm not sure if I should, maybe someone else, you know, you're in that place where you're, you want to do something, but you're not sure how to do it or if you should. Here are four things that you can ask yourself to determine whether or not you should take action. Number one, is there a need? Is there a need? If the answer is yes, then guess what? You should do something. Number two, does this person matter to God? And the answer is, so should you do something? Yes. Does God want his love to be shown through me? And the answer is, church? Yes. Yes. Catching a trend here? Yes. Number four, and here's the hard one. What can I sacrifice to meet the need and introduce this person to the love of Jesus Christ? It's not enough to know you need to, but it's are you willing to? And sometimes it takes sacrifice. Maybe you're going to sacrifice a coffee this week. Maybe you're going to sacrifice eating out with your family at a fast food joint this week to help meet a need. Maybe the need is so great that you need to sell the boat that you only use once a year and give that money to meet the need. Or maybe you have a piece of property that's just sitting around being unutilized and you could sell that to help meet the need. See, what we have to remember and what we have to realize is that God doesn't just bless us so that we could just be entertained or just bless us for our enjoyment only. No, he blesses us so we can turn around and be his hands and feet in the world. And so we can bless others. So if we go through this process asking, is there a need? Does this person matter to God? Does God want to show his love through me? And what can I sacrifice today so that I can leverage that sacrifice to introduce this person to the love and hope found in Jesus Christ? If we would go through this process, I believe not only will our generosity increase, but so will the inflow to the kingdom of God. Jesus said, the Father loves to give you the kingdom. He's just waiting for people to come on board. Proverbs 18, 16 says this. Giving a gift can open doors. It gives access to important people. And you see, everyone matters to God, which means everyone is important. There's not an unimportant person that's ever been born. If you want access to the hearts of people, if we want to break down walls that we can break down in order to introduce people to the love of Christ, to show them the way to be saved, to have a true and intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father where they're going to find hope, hope for tomorrow to overcome their struggles, the grace to forgive themselves of things that they've done and, and to be able to move on to be who God has created them to be, I believe it's going to be through our love and generosity. 
And I just believe that as the church of Jesus Christ, we have to start at square one, which starts with loving God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. Because the more we lean into God, the more we love God with all that we are, the less attached to our stuff, our time, our energy, our resources, we will be. The less self-focused and more self-sacrificing we will be because we see how much he has loved us. And as the depth of our love deepens, so will our love for one another. My prayer for our church is that may we always be the place where we are the people of God, love the Lord and one another, that we share what we have to meet the needs of people in our church and making a lasting impression and impact on our surrounding communities. That generosity is a thing that just follows our legacy. And as we draw to a close, I'm going to challenge every family here today. We created these, and yes, we ripped this idea off from someone else, so don't give me any credit for it. But we created these cards that simply say on them, random act of love, right? Scripture says we need to spur each other on or come up with ways to promote each other to love and good works. So this is, this is an effort in that today. So this card says random act of love. And on the back, it says this random act of love is brought to you by Vertical Life Church. You're invited to join us Sundays at 1045 at the Clio High School Auditorium and then list our, list our website. And the challenge for these cards today, and as I am going to challenge every family to pick up seven of these cards and commit to handing these cards out this month, sometime over the next 30-ish days. And when you, before you hand out these cards, what I want you to do is I want you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to lead and direct your heart on who you want to give this card to. And before you give them the card, I want you to do an act of generosity. Maybe it's meeting a need. Maybe it's, again, buying them a coffee, something kind, considerate. If you don't have the extended funds, maybe you could do something for them. Time is just as valuable as money in a lot of ways. Maybe you could help them clean up their yard. You don't have money to spend, but you got a nice hefty rake. You know, whatever the case is. You know, think of what you can do. Don't be limited by money, but think and ask the Holy Spirit, inspire me, tell me, what, what could make an impact on this person's life? And as you pray, and he lays that on your heart, walk in generosity, and then hand them the card and introduce them uh, or invite them to our church. And be prepared to share your faith because they're going to ask you questions. Oh, what church? What's it like? What do you believe? Be ready to share your faith. And maybe in that opportunity, you can introduce them to the one who can change their life. I'm going to ask you to commit to that. And before you leave here, these cards are up at the front. I'm going to ask you, before you leave, to pick up a stack and commit to passing that out this week. And you know, I believe God could do something pretty remarkable through that. I believe that God could open the door to a lot of people. You see, if just 30 families in our church pass out these cards this month, that's 210 people we could impact with the love of Jesus Christ. And if the same, just 30 families, same families did it again next month, that's 420 people we could impact with the love and hope of Jesus Christ. Imagine if everyone in our church participated. And then more people came and more people participated. Imagine what kind of kingdom benefit we could see in our church. 
See, that is the goal. The goal for Vertical Life Church is not just to come and participate in religious services, to say, I went to church today. It's to be the light and hope to a world lost in the darkness. And so I believe truly that we're going to see that door opened as we walk in crazy generosity today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for our church. I thank you for everyone here that tirelessly serves one another, the setup, the teardown, the serving in ministries. I thank you for people that give sacrificially so that we can run our services and we can run our ministries, Father. And I just pray that as you grow our faith, so we're all love and our generosity. And as we sow seeds of generosity into the community, God, that you would open the door for people to place their faith and trust in you. And right now in this place, God, if there's anyone here that's never had a moment in their life where they said, God, I want to receive your great gift of generosity, the gift of your son Jesus as my Lord and Savior, to have my sins forgiven and know that I'm right with God and that when I die, I will go to be in heaven, to be with the Lord forever and forever and forever. That if there's a person here today that right here in this moment, they would just call out a prayer and they would just say, Father in heaven, Forgive me of my sins. I claim Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Fill me with your presence, your Holy Spirit, and empower me to be an agent of your love and hope in the world today. In Jesus' name. And God, that we would, as a church, would have this evangelistic mindset. God, that we'd be filled with the spirit of evangelism, that we would leave this place with the mindset on bringing in the kingdom of heaven, making Jesus famous, and him, Lord, on the hearts and minds of those in our sphere of influence and in our community. God, we want to be a place that people know is where God is alive and hope can be found in Jesus Christ. May we always be a church of generosity. In Jesus' name, amen.